You have not forsaken your brothers these many days, down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers, as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God, and to walk in all his ways, and to keep his commandments, and to cling to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them, and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Basha. To the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, Go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land, of which they had possessed themselves by command of the Lord through Moses. And when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh built there an altar by the Jordan, an altar of imposing size. And the people of Israel heard it, said, Behold, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built the altar at the frontier of the land of Canaan, in the region about the Jordan on the side that belongs to the people of Israel. And when the people of Israel heard of it, the whole assembly of the people of Israel gathered at Shiloh to make war against them. Then the people of Israel sent to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, Phinas, the son of Eliezer, the priest. And with him ten chiefs, one from each of the tribal families of Israel, every one of them the head of a family among the clans of Israel. And they came to the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh in the land of Gilead, and they said to them, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel? And turning away this day from following the Lord by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord. Have we not had enough of the sin of Peor, from which even yet we have not cleansed ourselves, and from which there came a plague upon the whole congregation of the Lord, that you too must turn away this day from following the Lord. And if you too rebel against the Lord today, then, then tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, then pass over into the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and, and take for yourselves a possession among us. Only do not rebel against the Lord 
or make us rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan the son of Zerah break faith in the matter of the devoted things? And wrath fell upon all the congregation of Israel. And he did not perish alone for his iniquity. Then the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh said in answer to the heads of the families of Israel, The Mighty One, God the Lord. The Mighty One, God the Lord, He knows. And let Israel itself know, if it was in rebellion or in breach of faith against the Lord, do not spare us today for building an altar to turn away from following the Lord. For if we did so to offer burnt offerings or grain offerings or peace offerings on it, may the Lord himself take vengeance. No, but we did it from fear that in time to come your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you people of Rudin and people of Gad. You have no portion in the Lord. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. Therefore we said, let us now build an altar, not for burnt offering, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you, and between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings, So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And we thought if if this should be said to us or to our descendants in time to come, we should say, behold the copy of the altar of the Lord which our fathers made. Not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn away this day from following the Lord by building an altar for burnt offering, grain offering or sacrifice other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. For when Phinehas the priest and the chiefs of the congregation, the heads of the families of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the people of Reuben And the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh spoke. It was good in their eyes. And Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the priest, said to the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the people of Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst, because ye have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord. Now ye have delivered the people of Israel from the hand of the Lord. Then Phinehas, the son of Eleazar the priest, and the chiefs returned from the people of Reuben and the people of Gad in the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan, to the people of Israel, and brought back word to them. And the report was good in the eyes of the people of Israel. And the people of Israel blessed God and spoke no more of making war against them to destroy the land where the people of Reuben and the people of Gad were settled. The people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness, for they said, it is a witness between us 
that the Lord is God. So as I said, we have moved into this final section in Joshua. At the beginning, um, we divided the book into four sections. So firstly, we had cross, that was crossing the Jordan River. That was chapters 1 to 5. Then we had take, that was the fighting and the conquering, taking the land. That was chapters 6 to 12. Then, Josh, Josh finished for us last week, that section on divide. And dividing and apportioning the land to each tribe. That was chapters 13 to 21. And this week, we begin this final section, um, Serve, which is chapters 22 to 24. We have summed up the book of Joshua. We've said this various times throughout. God is faithful, serve him. God is faithful, serve him. In the summary at the end of chapter 21, thank you, Sarah. Thank you. The summary at the end of chapter 21, which also completes that large section, emphasizes to us again the faithfulness of God. Let's just look at that before we come into chapter 22. So let's look at chapter 21, verses 43 to 45. And here we see the faithfulness of God. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers. And they took possession of it and settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them. For the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. See, God is faithful. What God says, he will do. And we come into these final few chapters. We've seen that God is faithful question now is, will his people be faithful to him? What will their response be to the faithfulness of God? And over these next few weeks, that that same challenge comes to us today. God is faithful. Will you, will I, be faithful in serving him? The, The structure that we see where God is faithful, serve him, This structure we see in Joshua, it's a structure we see in all the New Testament letters. Where those first chapters speak about the faithfulness of God, speak about all that God has done for us in the Gospel of Christ. And then we move into those final chapters in the New Testament letters, the chapters of application. And what it's saying is, in light of God's faithfulness to you, what is your response? Will you be faithful to him in living and serving him? in this way. One example of this is Romans 12, where Paul says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. In other words, in light of the faithfulness of God, present your bodies 
as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. The other thing you may notice in these final three chapters, each of the chapters begins with Joshua summoning the people. So we see this is really where the focus is coming now, the challenge to the people. Chapter 22, verse 1, Joshua summoned the tribes who were given land east of the Jordan. Chapter 23, verse 2, we see Joshua summoned all Israel. Chapter 24, verse 1, Joshua gathered all the tribes and summoned the elders. So it's clear Joshua is summoning, he is challenging God's people to continue serving the Lord. And as we think about that from chapter 22 this morning, um, we'll divide it into three headings. Um, A godly commendation, a godly confrontation, and then a godly concern. So let's think firstly about a godly commendation, verses 1 to 6. There's a principle here that I think really works in any area of life. If you want more from people, you've got to encourage them. And that seems to be the logic that Joshua uses here. In verse 1, chapter 22, he summons the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And look what he says to them in verse 2. He says, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days, down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. Now you may remember way back to chapter 1, these two and a half tribes, they had already been given land east of the Jordan, but Joshua said, look, you can't go to the land and you can't rest now because all these other tribes, your fellow men, your brothers, they have still to fight and battle and take land. And so Joshua said to them, remain with your brothers until the Lord has given them rest and then you can go to the land the Lord has given you and enjoy your rest. And here in chapter 22, Joshua is saying to these tribes, look, you have done all that has been asked of you. You haven't forsaken your brothers. You have obeyed the Lord in all of this. And actually in this chapter, uh, and perhaps more unlikely, but we see Israel standing as a really good example to us. Verse 4 then, Joshua says, the Lord has given rest to your brothers. So now is the time Now is the time you can turn, you can go to the land that the Lord has given you and enjoy the rest the Lord has given you. And actually, I guess it's so emotional, actually, because these these tribes collectively together, they have been through so much together, but now has come the time to part and to return, to cross the Jordan again and return to the land that the Lord gave them in the east. So Joshua says, the Lord has given you rest. Go to that. Go enjoy that. But, verse 5, be very careful 
to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. And the commandment is to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and keep his commandments and to cling to him and serve him with all your heart and soul. You see how Joshua's worked this. You see how he's been quite tactful in this. He encourages God's people. He says, you have been so obedient. You have done all that has been asked of you, but keep doing this. Love God. Keep his commandments. Cling to him. Serve him with everything that you've got. And again, we, we, we see this, this kind of logic coming out in the New Testament letters as well. The, the New Testament writers, they don't just launch on God's people with a big stick. In his opening to the Ephesians as an example, Paul encourages the believers of the evident signs of faith in their lives, of the love that they show to each other. But then later on, he says, you've got to keep doing this. So he commends them for it, but then he says, you must show humility and gentleness and patience with one another. He says, you have been loving one another, but you've got to continue to bear with one another in love. The Lord Jesus does the very same thing in the letters to the churches in Revelation. He points out what they've done that has been good, and then he challenges them what they need to do. Of course, today, we want to respond to God's faithfulness to us by loving him and walking in his ways. And we know that, that we express love for God. We thought about this so much together. We know that we express love for God by loving each other in the family of God. I am so thankful for other churches in our association who take interest in us and Pray for us. Just yesterday morning, I was at a men's breakfast in Carrick, where again they just wanted to hear what was happening here. They prayed for us, they, they took a, an offering for us, and we're so thankful for that. But when I have opportunity to, to chat to others, one thing I will always say is please give thanks to God for the sense of unity and visible displays of Christian love towards each other here. And I must commend you on that. And I should commend you more on that. But, be careful to keep doing this. Please, continue to love each other, to sacrifice for each other, to prioritise each other, and do it with everything that you've got. Be observant of each other. Where you see obedience to the Lord in each other, tell each other, commend each other, and encourage each other to keep doing that. Because that's going to be so key as we move to our next point, which is godly confrontation. We see this in verses 10 to 20. I wonder who here enjoys confrontation. Some of you will probably run a mile from confrontation. Some people do seem to enjoy it um, a bit too much, which baffles me. But whether we like confrontation or not, as we strive to show love to each other, 
within the family of God, and perhaps with all relationships, confrontation is going to be necessary at some point or other. Well, these two and a half tribes, they have set off on their way back to the east side to the land the Lord had given them. And we see verse 10, when they came to the region of the Jordan, that is in the land of Canaan, so still on the west side, the people of Reuben, the people of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they built an altar there by the Jordan. And we're told it's an altar of imposing size. So huge, you're not going to miss it. So on their way home, these two and a half tribes, they make a stop on the west side and make a huge altar near the Jordan. But when the other tribes, when they hear of this, they are alarmed. So much so that, verse 12, they gathered at Shiloh, where the tent of meeting was, and they made plans to go to war against the two and a half tribes. Now, you would think that they had their fair share of war without planning war against their own brothers just at the point where they all had finally been given rest for war and told to go and enjoy it. Now, it's it's worth noting here that through these verses, when you see the phrase, the people of Israel, referring, that is referring to the nine and a half tribes. It's not referring to all Israel. And it's showing that these nine and a half tribes at this point, there's a distinction between them and the two and a half tribes. So if you look at verse 11, the people of Israel heard it said, Behold the people of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. So you have these nine and a half tribes called called Israel here, speaking against Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. Verse 13, Then the people of Israel, that's the nine and a half tribes, sent to the people of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh. And so as we are reading this, what we are seeing is that the two and a half tribes are being viewed as separate from the nine and a half tribes, but they're not, are they? Because they are all God's people. So what we see is that this issue of the two and a half tribes building an altar, it is causing disunity in God's people and has the potential to completely divide God's people. But the nine and a half tribes, they do show us wisdom here. They do not launch an attack straight away. But verse 13, they send Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the priest, and with him ten chiefs, one representative from each tribe to the people of Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh to simply figure out what on earth is going on. What is the meaning of this altar? And they approach the two and a half tribes And as they do, we see now why they were so alarmed. Look at verse 16. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel? In turning away this day from following the Lord, by building yourselves an altar this day in rebellion against the Lord. So the nine and a half tribes, they knew that God had set apart one place, 
to be worshipped, and that was at Shiloh. They saw this altar going up, away from Shiloh, and they thought to themselves, why are you blatantly disobeying the Lord? We cannot stand by and let you do this. And they recall times before, they recall Peor in verse 17. You can read more about that in Numbers 25. But that's where God's people got caught up in Baal worship and gross sexual immorality. And they're saying, look, we are still suffering the consequences from that. And then they recall the sin of Achan, verse 20. We looked at that in Joshua 7. And they point out how one man sinned, and yet all Israel suffered the consequences. And they're thinking, how much worse is it going to be for all the tribes if an entire two and a half tribes are sinning in this where? How can you have abandoned the Lord in this way? Now the question I want us to think about, were the Western tribes right in their reaction to this? Were they right to come and approach the two and a half tribes like this? Well, I believe they were, and this is the reason why. Their motivation for doing this was the honour of God's name. They wanted to protect the worship of God. Now we'll see in our next point that they were definitely right not to to go gung-ho and declare war against the tribes. But, driven by the honour of God's name, they were completely right to confront the tribes about this issue. It seems that they genuinely believed the two and a half tribes were sinning against the Lord and they wanted to protect the honour of God's name. I mean, they were even willing to give up their own land. We see that in verse 20. That's how genuine and passionate they were about this. They were willing to give up their own land to prevent the two and a half tribes from sinning and to protect the unity of God's people. Now the same applies to us today as the people of God. If you believe a brother or sister is sinning against the Lord and you genuinely want to protect the honour of God's name, then you confront that brother or sister and you strive to figure out what is going on. You do all you can to prevent them from sinning and protect unity. And there's very clear steps for this um, marked out for us in the New Testament. But we don't go all guns blazing, judging and accusing But we do move towards. And that is what I believe to be happening. Uh, Sorry, we we do move towards those people. And perhaps we say something like, look, this is what I believe is is happening right now. Can you help me to understand what is going on? But be sure your motive is God's honour. 
Your motive is not simply pointing out sin. Your motive is not revenge. I have pointed out sin before in someone as a means of getting revenge for a wrong done to my family. And I can tell you, it did me no good. It did the person no good. And I firmly believe it brought no honour to the Lord. But I can also think of brothers in Christ who have sinned very obviously and I let them go when I absolutely should have gone after them and fought for the honour of the Lord. What stopped me in that case? Probably fear of their response. And if you are unsure whether it is appropriate to confront someone or not, do speak to others. Speak to other believers you trust. Um, But for the sake of the honour of God's name, we must be prepared to engage in godly confrontation. And as I said at the end of the first point, we want godly confrontation to come from an already pattern of encouraging and building each other up. Because it is there we will have more trust for each other. The godly confrontation. Thirdly then, a godly concern. And we see this in verses 21 to 29. And in these verses we see the response of the two and a half tribes to the confrontation. And what is revealed here is again just a genuine and a godly concern. They begin in in verses 21 to 23 by categorically stating their intention was not in breach of faith against the Lord. Further down in verse 29, they, they clearly state the altar was not set up for burnt offerings or grain offerings or sacrifice other than the altar that the Lord God had appointed that stands in Shiloh. And what they're doing here, they are reassuring the Western tribes that they understand God has set aside a place for worship and sacrifice. They're not trying to take away from that. They're not trying to set up another place. And they assure, they assure the nine and a half tribes of their honesty by calling the Lord himself as their witness. And they even state, look, if we are in breach of faith, then we should not be spared. May the Lord himself come and take vengeance. And then from verses 24, they, they explain why they did set up the altar. And in verses 26 and 7, we we see really the main reason for this. So let's look at verse 26. Let us now build an altar, not for burnt offerings, not for sacrifice, but to be a witness between us and you, and between our generations after us, that we do perform the service of the Lord in his presence with our burnt offerings and sacrifices and peace offerings. So your children will not say to our children in time to come, you have no portion in the Lord. And they reiterate in verse 28 that the altar is there as a witness. Now what they're really saying is that they put this altar up as a sign of unity with all of God's people. It seems they had a really genuine, godly concern 
for the unity of God's people. And they, they, they take time to explain their fears. They say, look, in time to come, we don't want children in the Western tribes to think that children in the Eastern tribes have nothing to do with them and have nothing to do with the Lord. And look, when they look and see this huge river that separates them, the, the temptation is going to be that they'll actually think they are separate people. And so their thinking was, was to build this altar that would stand as a witness between the two sides, west and east, and it would be something that the children could look at and be reminded we are all part of God's people. We are united as one nation, despite geography or anything else. And the eastern tribes, they really welcomed the confrontation. And they simply took time to explain where they were coming from and to explain their thinking on this matter. And I believe it is because their intentions were genuine and sincere that they were able to respond in this way. And again, the same is true of us today. If we are genuinely and sincerely striving to love the Lord, to keep his commands, striving for unity among God's people, we will welcome questioning and confrontation of our actions. You know, when our defences are up, it's often a sign that we're not acting sincerely and genuinely. I think there's another helpful lesson for us in here in, as they explain what their, their thinking was. We see that God's people had a concern for the unity of future generations, particularly between the Western and Eastern tribes. We, we want to have that same concern that our children, those generations coming next, understand what it means to be part of God's wider family. Now, the country and the area we live in here, of course, has many local churches. Now, there will be distinctions between these churches, but where God's people are genuinely striving to love him, to obey him and serve him, I believe it's important that us ourselves and our children have a greater understanding of what unites us as God's people than what divides us. Surely we want our children to grow up with a deep love and care and respect and welcome of God's people who meet in a different place. So for example, we think of our Presbyterian brothers and sisters just across the road. The first thing that comes to our mind should not be, <laughs> they're the ones that baptize babies, but... The first thing that should be in our mind is that Jesus Christ has died for our sins. He has brought us near to God. He has brought us near to each other. Despite our distinctions, that is a beautiful thing. That is something we should remember and that is something we should teach our children. And to think much wider than Craigavon or Northern Ireland. Of course Ukraine is so much in our minds just now. We have brothers and sisters across our world and they are suffering in ways that we cannot imagine just now in Ukraine. And isn't it so important 
that we ourselves are reminded, that we ourselves teach our children that they are our brothers and sisters. They need our prayers. They need our love. They need our care. They need support in whatever way we are able to do from here. Well, when the representatives from the Western tribes, when they heard the response, we we see it was good in their eyes. And Phinas, the son of Eliezer, the priest, he said to the Eastern tribes, Today we know that the Lord is in our midst, because you have not committed this breach of faith against the Lord, and you have saved us from punishment. So the representatives, they brought word back to the Eastern tribes. It was good in their eyes, and they then stopped any plans to make war. And we can see now it really was very wise not to go straight to war. Verse 34, the people of Reuben and the people of Gad called the altar witness, for they said, it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. As God's people allowed godly confrontation and discussion, despite the differences in this little matter, they were able to continue united and their unity was ultimately a witness to who God is. You know, I wonder if they hadn't engaged with this and just presumed on what each other was thinking, it could possibly have ended very differently. Again, the same is true for us. As God's people striving to be faithful to him, we want to allow godly confrontation and discussion that allows us to continue united and ultimately be a witness to who God is. It's the unity of God's people that is a witness to who God is. It's a witness to the power and the love of God that has united us together through the death of Jesus Christ in our place, which we're going to remember just now. So let us pray as we come to the Lord's table. Our Father and God, we, we acknowledge your faithfulness to us again um, and all that you've done for us in the gospel of Christ and dying for our sins and rising again, offering us the hope of eternal rest with you, peace and joy forever. And Father, until that day, we want to love you. God, we want to walk in your ways. We want to cling to you and serve you with everything that we have got. And so, God, may you work in each of us to increase our love for the honour of God's name. And, Father, if it is appropriate at times, out of a motivation to honour your name, may we be able to engage in godly confrontation um, with brothers and sisters. Father, may we have um, enough love for you and enough love for our brothers and sisters to, to want to prevent them from sin. Father, as we strive on together, striving to express the unity that you have created and given us, may our unity be a witness. May others see the love and unity among us 
and know that the Lord is God. Know his power that has brought us together in Christ. And Father, we do pray for our brothers and sisters across our world, particularly in Ukraine at this time. Father, we, we thank you even for answered prayer this week in, in Liz's family. And Father, we pray that now those dear people will continue to know your help and your presence as they continue on this journey, a journey they thought they would never have to make. Father, will you uphold them? Will you assure them who you are? May they know something of the love and care of brothers and sisters around the world. And Father, for others that we, we don't even know what, the, what, what their circumstances exactly are just now, Father, we pray that you will encourage your people. We pray that, as we have been singing today, that they will know who you are, the ancient of days. They will know their times are in your hands. And Father, where we can, will you move us to help and support and care and pray in whatever way we possibly can. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.